T-minus 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Tower cleared. Here we got a roll program. And as Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Today, tonight, this is Grant Cameron, and I have a real special guest with me tonight. Um, uh, My friend Richard uh, O'Connor is on and I for some people have already mentioned the fact that I'm going to be doing a series on nuclear weapons uh, because that's how my story started in 1975 uh, with nuclear weapons so I have um, Dr. O'Connor on um, from Montana he is um, he can correct me whether he's still the um, the director or the uh, runs the Jesse Marcel library been in UFOs for quite a while, but basically tonight we want to talk about a new book that's just come out a couple of days ago called UFOs, Nuclear Weapons, and a New Age of Reason. So good evening, Richard. Hi, Grant. Pleased to be here. Super. Is my uh, screen right size up? Can you read your book on there or is it backwards? Right. Uh, no, it's good. Okay, I can read good. It. Mm-hmm. Good. So before we get to the book, which I'm really interested in, it was uh, almost like a synchronistic thing where... Um, I started to do this nuclear thing, and I'm going to have on uh, David Perkins shortly. Uh, you may know he did the whole connection between cattle mutilations and nuclear uh, testing and stuff like that. So I was about to do it, and then suddenly I saw your books. I said, oh, I got to get uh, Richard on here to talk about his book. So before we get to the yeah. book, can you talk a little bit about uh, the whole um, background, like why you got into UFOs? I think it was because of Jesse Marcel, and then maybe talk a little bit about uh the library in Montana. I went through there one time. I think it was, I just missed it by a couple of days that it closed down for the winter, but let's go through that because a lot of people may not know that you actually have a, a library and you knew Jesse Marcel very well. Sure. Uh, So yeah, I I came to um, Montana out of my um, anesthesia training program, a fellowship program. I did at UC Davis um, in in Sacramento, California, came to Helena in 1988 and um, joined the medical staff of St. Peter's Hospital here in Helena. And on the staff at that time uh, was Dr. Marcel, uh, Jesse A. Marcel Jr., who was an ear, nose, and throat surgeon here in Helena for probably about mm, 10 years before I got here. And so, you know, I met him and um, worked with him for quite some time before I, one evening I was watching this documentary on uh, Roswell 
or it was just a UFO documentary, but they, they mentioned Roswell and they mentioned his name, which kind of surprised <laughs> me. You know, I was like, oh, I know him. <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I, I think the next time I was working in an operating room with him, I asked him about it, you know, and he said, yeah, that, that happened. Um, that was me. You know, I was 11 years old when that happened. And my father brought home this material and laid it out on the kitchen floor. And he said that it wasn't from this earth and that it was from a, a uh, flying saucer. So, um, you know, I worked with uh, Dr. Marcel for many years after that, probably uh, before he went out. He left St. Peter's and went to work out at the VA hospital at Fort Harrison here in Helena. But, you know, we worked together for at least a decade after that, and I got to know him very well. Uh, we worked together frequently, and, you know, getting to know him as a person, uh, as a physician, and, and also as just a, a citizen, um, helped me realize that, you know, that he was a very honest, straight up guy. And uh, there was no reason for me to ever think that um, he would be telling a, a story about this that wasn't true. And, and then, you know, of course, I got to, to know his family and his wife and his children. And um, we had dinner together on many occasions. And uh, so, you know, when you get to know someone on a personal level like that, you, you become able, I think, to, to judge whether or not you think that they would make up something like this. And so, you know, from basically uh, 1989 on, I, I realized that the Roswell story was true yeah. and uh, that uh, all the implications of that. And so um, that was my introduction to UFOs and why I got interested in it. And uh, since then, it's, it's been uh, an interesting, uh, but also kind of a frustrating um, <clears throat> experience to be aware that all of this is true, but our world just continues to sort of ignore it, you know, mm -hmm. uh, up until recently, um, it is getting some more traction, it seems, since December 2017. But prior to that, uh, people just sort of shut it out of their lives and their minds and a lot of most people. And uh, so <clears throat> hopefully uh, now we're seeing a change in the tempo of, of uh, people coming to realize that there probably is a lot more to it than they gave it credit for. And uh, hopefully more people are engaging with the subject and becoming interested in it and looking for their own truth. Mm -hmm. Um and it's definitely time that that happened and was one of the, <clears throat> the reasons that I decided to uh, uh, years ago, back in 2012, uh, just turned out to be a year before Jess Marcel died. I spoke with him about opening um, a library, which I had a building available near my home and uh, naming it after he and his father in order to help carry on the, the Roswell legacy, you know, after he's gone, not that it will really ever go away. I think it's been become uh, quite well solidified in our cultural, uh, you know, 
reality. So, um, but anyway, uh, he, he talked with me about that and said, sure, you know, if you want to do that, that's fine. <clears throat> and the vision I had for the library was that it could serve as a place where people that were having these experiences um, could come and discuss the subject without fear of ridicule or without fear that they were going to be laughed at, you know, uh, because 2012 was still, still quite a few years away from the time when this, the taboo or the stigma associated with discussing this, this whole subject in a serious manner um, <clears throat> came about. So he said, yeah, sure, that, that would be great. So I, I put all the books and information and materials uh, that I had collected over the years into the library and people, other people brought materials and books and stocked it up with those and videos and things that people could come and check out. And, uh, you know, right up until the COVID pandemic, uh, we met there on a regular basis uh, during the months of the year when it was easy to do so. You know, we have, as you do in Winnipeg, we have winters here that are pretty, yeah. pretty impressive. And um, the snow removal and, and trying to keep the building heated and everything uh, was kind of prohibitive yeah. during the winter months. But during the late spring up until the mid-fall, we, we would meet. Um, on a weekly basis and you know new people would come and other people would go but you know we typically always had a, a quorum there for some kind of a meeting and some kind of a discussion and yeah. and uh, I would typically spend the time to arrange <clears throat> finding materials to present um, I'm sure that at some time or another I presented something that you have uh, researched and brought to the fore um, and thank you for that. Thank you for all of the time uh, and your life energy that you put into trying to move this ball forward. <laughs> it has not been an easy task for anybody involved in it and uh, still isn't, yeah. but um, you've done a great uh, commendable job for getting people up to speed um, and being so persistent about it. So Thanks. Thank you very much for all that you put into it. Yeah. Did you see an increase, uh, a change in like the number of people that would talk to you after 2017, after that break and in terms of uh, what was going on at the library or the meetings that you had? Good question. Um, I would say no, I didn't. Okay. And that surprised me. And it actually kind of took a lot of wind out of my sails to tell you the truth. When I saw all this information spilling out from these sort of semi-official spokespersons for the Pentagon. Yeah. And yet people still, and even today, you know, I'm, I'm not really seeing the kind of response from the public that I had thought would happen, hoped would happen, uh, which was really one of the motivations for me finally sitting down and writing this book wow. uh, because um I feel like uh, there's a clock ticking and I don't think that we have forever to figure this out yeah. and to embrace it and to take action on the uh, 
the topics that have been brought to our attention by these others in the book, I call them the others. I really don't presume to know exactly who they are or where they're from. Uh, but I think it's become increasingly clear that they've been around for a long time. And I cite uh, what I consider to be, you know, reasonable evidence to make that conclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> I, would, I would say that uh, they've likely been around human beings for thousands of years. And um, so this, you know, these incidents, the, probably the thing that I have found to be the most impressive uh, aspect of the UFO phenomenon was when I, I began to become acquainted with Robert Hastings and with the work that he's done on interviewing uh, people, men who were officers in the U.S. military and who were stationed around the country at these different nuclear weapons installation sites. Uh, primarily, they've been intercontinental ballistic missile sites mm -hmm. where um, UFOs have been very closely temporally related to the disabling of these nuclear missiles. And uh, to the point where I think that there can be no question that those machines, those devices were responsible for having done that, you know? And then of course, all the work that Stephen Greer has done uh, to bring this to the public's attention through his interviews with um, Robert Salas, the Cap Captain Robert Salas, who um, <clears throat> was one of the primary, if maybe the spokesperson who initially came out with the stories about his experiences uh, right here in Montana at Malmstrom Air Force Base, where uh, UFOs shut down the nuclear missiles at two different locations mm -hmm. located not too far from where I live. And uh, so, you know, I began paying attention to Robert Salas and his stories through Stephen Greer's Disclosure Project. And then, uh, of course, he brought forward the testimony of uh, Professor uh, Dr. Robert Jacobs, who was also in the... Um, U.S. Air Force stationed at Vandenberg Air Force Base uh, when he actually captured on film a UFO uh, shooting this intercontinental ballistic missile with a dummy warhead out of the uh, atmosphere, I think somewhere around an altitude of, I don't know, it was, it was high. It was high up in the atmosphere, I think maybe around 16, 18,000 feet, but they, they had this special camera that they were using to film this. And it was actually a camera that you, you could sit on a turret and um, it had a, quite a, a large lens associated with the camera. This was a high tech device for that time in the mid 1960s. And uh, they filmed the launch of this ICBM and this missile uh, going into the upper atmosphere and then uh, Robert Jacobs described seeing on the film himself 
this UFO, typical description of a UFO coming down uh, out of the, the frame of the video or into the frame of the video, circling around the warhead and what seemed unmistakably to be um, aiming uh, some sort of a uh, energy device. We don't know really what, what it is, a, a, you know, whether it was a photonic beam or some kind of a high energy particle beam or what it was, but it was something that damaged the warhead enough to cause the guidance system in the warhead to to uh, malfunction and the missile uh, tumble out of control <clears throat> and land somewhere out over the ocean. Just, just uh, for crash, you, I should say. Yeah, just to interrupt you, I, I actually have uh, I had uh, a lot of correspondence and interaction with a guy by the name of Robert Emmenegger, who did a documentary in the 1970s called UFOs Past, Present, and Future. They were actually offered that film. They've got the film. It's actually in Oregon now um in a in a vault and i will put on the audio um and maybe try to put it on the video as well to to this to give some context because uh he talks about that film that they were they were given the film and then at the end they said well we'd rather you not put it in the film but he describes exactly the film that you're talking about this where the warhead is taken out in in terms Excellent. of the three guys that you have we're talking hastings and uh, jacobs and salas uh, do you look at the idea that these guys are all experiencers, that they're all um, have had interactions with the beings? Do you get into that sort of um, stuff about what the beings may be doing and that there's uh, this may be more complex than what we think, that this wasn't accidental, that these guys happen to be very much involved in these very prominent cases. And yet they themselves had had experiences. Well, certainly uh, Robert Hastings uh, wrote a book. I guess about a year ago explaining, yeah. yes, that he has had uh, interactions um, as a uh, contactee uh, with th these beings. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, I certainly don't discount that as I don't discount the, the stories of many, many others who've come forward courageously, I think, and talked about their personal experiences with these others. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I, uh, you know, I commend them for doing what they're, they've done because it uh, is helping to focus our attention on this phenomenon and realize that uh, this is affecting the personal lives of, of citizens and um, they deserve to be listened to. And, uh, and I think that um, the question about, you know, why these, these interactions with our, with people have been taking place is something that I, that I bring up in my book as well, because clearly um, some part of, of these um, interactions or some of, some of them we've labeled as abductions where people have been um, taken against their, their will um, and had what appear to be uh at least according to their accounts, uh, the, this harvesting of eggs and sperm from you know, male and female uh, human beings is certainly suggestive that there is and probably has been some sort of an ongoing 
uh, genetic study of humanity. And uh, so we should, we should pay attention to that. And we should uh, ask, you know, why that is and what the purpose of it is and whether or not, uh, you know, I think it legitimately brings forward the question of whether human beings ourselves are the product of some sort of a genetic engineering project that may have been started 300,000 years ago. You know, we, we really don't have the answers to those questions, but I think it's, uh, it's within the realm of possibility. I don't think that we should discount it given, you know, when you accept that these others are here and when you look at the data that said that they've been here for at least a few thousand years, then you, you really have to start questioning, well, how long have they been here? Yeah. You know, have they been here a lot longer than, than mankind, uh, humanity has been here? And what roles have they played not only in the present, with their shutting down these nuclear weapons, but what roles have they paid? Have they played in in mankind's past? You know, and uh, I think these are all legitimate questions, and is one reason that I feel that it's becoming imperative that we begin to uh, figure out how we can establish uh, a dialogue with them. You know, and um, so I know that uh, your um, interests currently are in the consciousness aspect of all of this. And, uh, you know, I certainly agree with you that that is a, uh, a big part of all of this. And um, I say that uh, because of a an event that occurred to me um, that happened actually right here where I'm sitting uh, in front of this same computer. uh, And it was maybe about five years ago. Okay. And um, so I, I, most of my free time, I spend either reading uh, about UFOs or trying to research them myself or writing about them on my website, which is, CropCirclesResearchFoundation.org. Um, you know, I don't know why, but I, I've been kind of gripped with the, my interest in this for, you know, a couple of decades. And um, a lot of the reason, as I was saying, that, that I've been uh, so compelled by this subject has to do with this relationship between uh, these others and nuclear weapons. And so I've written, you know, a number of blog posts about it and expressed my feelings about, uh, about the, um, the unconscionable risk that mankind has placed not only our own species and our entire civilization in, but in fact, every single uh, form of life on this planet, you know, and I mean, if that isn't the definition of hubris, I don't know what is it to me. It just is, uh, basically some form of insanity. It's, it's a sickness. It's a, it's an illness that, that, um, these quote leaders, unquote, 
are putting every single one of us in on a minute by minute basis. And um, it's just, there's just can't be any justification for it. It's not defensible ethically, morally. Uh, if, you, if one is religious, I don't know how these individuals that claim to be religious, uh, which I am really not, you know, I will readily admit that I am not, but those that claim to be, uh, and yet will take these steps to design, manufacture, and maintain these, these systems, these systems, weapons of mass destruction, um, to be at the ready minute by minute to launch. I just, it's unfathomable to me how uh, they can justify this in their lives and in their own minds. So anyway, so I've written a lot about that and and, um, thought a lot about it. And I've also tried to think of ways that, that I could make contact with these others, you know, and I've tried various strategies for doing that, um, including attending some of Dr. Greer's uh, CE5 events. Okay. Um, and we've had some of the, some of our own, you know, uh, of those types of, of uh, meditation slash telepathic yeah. uh, attempts at, at communicating and at, Uh, trying to bring them closer. Um, And, you know, Grant, I will say, you know, that in my judgment, um, I don't believe that I've ever been witnessed to any real successes in that um, under those sort of conditions and protocols. Now, I'm a pretty concrete guy. I did anesthesia for a living for 30, 30, plus years, you know, and um, doing anesthesia, you have to be pretty grounded in reality. And so maybe I'm too grounded in reality, but um, I don't, I don't go there unless I, I feel that the evidence uh, to lead me there is pretty irrefutable. In which case, I think that the evidence of UFOs and their tampering with our nuclear weapons, for me, I have no reason to doubt the word of these military officers that have had the courage and the integrity to come forward and tell the human race about this. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's inexcusable that we have not heard this from a more official, uh, in a more official manner from the Pentagon. I just think it's, it's inexcusable. But that aside, um, uh, there's no reason to doubt the word of these men. You know, and Robert Salas and, and Robert Jacobs are not the only two guys. There's been David Schindel who came forward and wrote a book titled It Never Happened, which is the title of which came from the words that were spoken to him in the demands that he not talk about what happened when he was uh, a witness to one of these incidents where he was stationed at a uh, nuclear missile installation site. And where was he stationed? Um, 
that one I think happened in North Dakota. Okay. Uh, at um, Minot. No. Uh, I think it might have been at Minot. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's where we're, I'm just north of North Dakota. That's where we had the they put in the only anti-ballistic missile unit that ever went operational with 100 new nuclear missiles in 1975 uh -huh. and it just went crazy on our side of the border it was just sightings and they took the missiles out after they negotiated them away with the russians and all the sightings went away it's just like it's like turning the tap on and off it was like so i i always had that but i didn't realize the connection for 30 years did you always realize the connection i remember i used to wonder because the town i was involved with was called called carmen manitoba and it was just a small farming town it didn't have any industry didn't have any guns didn't have any uh weapons didn't have any military didn't have any air force bases nothing and i'm going like well, what are they doing like why would they why would they come across the galaxy to come to this little rinky dink town i mean didn't have anything and then the guy that the guy that ran the airport at one point said to me you know why they're here and i said no bob i don't know why they're here. He said, I told you why they're here. You know exactly why they're here. I said, no, Bob, I don't know why they were here. And then he said, the missiles. And as soon as he said that, you probably the same with me, that when you live in the field where the missiles are, you know your uh -huh. time, that, that if anything happens, you're gone. And we always knew that if, if there was ever an exchange, uh, every 10th Russian missile would come short and land right on top of us. That we were gone if there was ever right. anything gone. So you always lived with it, but you sort of put it in the back of your mind. But when he said that, I go, Oh yeah, the missiles. That's why they were, you know. And um, then I learned yeah. later on that they had put all these new nuclear missiles in there. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I, that that's where I, yeah. I guess I got my interest. But again, it took me thirty years. I went back to talk to him because I was going to give a lecture in the United States, and I said, "Bob, why were they here? I I, I need to know for the lecture." And then he said, <laughs> "You know," and then he clued me in. I didn't. I couldn't figure it out for myself. So, it. it I think uh -huh. and that's what people got to realize when you're around the missiles. And you see them in the fields, you know this is real. This is this is not uh, this is not pretend stuff. And that sooner. Oh, or later, I can drive forty miles from my house and be standing in front of one of the fences that surround one of these nuclear missile installations. Yeah. They're very real. Yeah, believe me. Yeah. Well, you know. So what I was going to describe to you was one Saturday morning. I'm sitting here just as I am now, and uh, in this room, at this desk, and. Uh, I hear this, this voice and it says, there will be judges. And I mean, I'm not kidding you. I just, I just went like this and I, I was like, who is here talking to me? Wow. And there's nobody in the room, just as there is nobody in the room. Now I had the door closed and my wife was downstairs. Okay, so, and she was the only other person in the room, and I asked her, did you come up to the my study and say something to me? And she said, no, I didn't. I was down here cleaning the basement. Yeah. And so I was like, holy shit, this is unbelievable. I mean, I've never had anything like this happen to me in my life, you know. This was a clear... Um, voice it was androgynous uh it wasn't it didn't sound like a computer voice it didn't sound like anything um artificial really but it and it was very clear you know and it just came into my head um so you know when you have an experience like that the only time i've ever had an experience like that in my entire life 
Did you know what it meant um, when it happened? No. Did you could you figure out what they were talking about? Did you because a lot of times no. intuitive things they sort no. of come with a an insight, no? Not immediately, but you know, obviously I, I thought about it a lot after after it happened, and I was like, why that message? There will be judges. What the heck does that mean? And why me? Yeah. You know, I mean. I, I'm interested in UFOs like everybody, like a lot of other people, but you know, that's about it. I haven't done anything particularly remarkable with the subject, but um, the, you know, as I've, as I've processed this over, over the years, uh, I suppose, you know, I would say that there are something, <clears throat> some things that have been kind of different about me. I, I set up a, a satellite dish in my, yard and I pointed it directly up vertically to the sky and hooked it up to my computer and used my website to request that the others, you know, as I explained that I, I refer to them, send me a message, you know, let's talk, let's communicate. Um, so I went through quite a bit of trouble and some expense to set up this satellite dish and, yeah. and I left it um, set up like that for six months, but I never did get any kind of a response. And, um, there's been other things that, that I've done setting up cameras and asking them to come and, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, just spend three seconds in front of these cameras so I can get a clear view, clear shot or a clear video that didn't really happen. Um, uh, and so, you know, I've tried over a decade to initiate various strategies for getting a conversation started. And that hasn't happened. Um, but then this happened, you know? And so I thought, well, you know, I, I have this real interest in nuclear weapons, which I, I judge to be a real black mark on the human race that we would presume to put this entire planet in existential jeopardy with these weapons. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, if, if I were these others, and if I'd been around for thousands of years, and especially if, if their lives are somehow tied to this planet, and its well being, then of course, they would be very concerned about what we're doing. And this unbelievable lack of wisdom uh, that our world leaders cannot sit down at a table together and have this conversation and just acknowledge to each other that this, this can't go on, you know, this is going to end in a disaster. Mm -hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, so I thought about that and, and then, <clears throat> and then I thought, well, maybe, the, maybe that's why me, because I've been trying to get in contact with them uh, through these various strategies that I do describe in the book. So maybe they responded, you know, yeah. um, and this message, there will be judges. Well, I don't think that that was particularly for me. I think that that message was for everyone, which is another reason I decided to write the book because I thought, well, how am I going to get, how do I get this out to the public? Okay. And I want to make it clear. I'm not a, I'm not a drug user. I'm not on any psychotropic medications. I've never seen a psychiatrist. I've never seen a psychologist. I've always been, you know, at least 
felt myself to be a pretty stable, down-to-earth person. So to have this happen to me was like, wow, that that yeah. that was strange. Okay, and uh, I think it really does um, go along with what you've been talking about with the consciousness aspect of all of this that um, we all have, I think, the potential to be receivers uh, if we just open up to it, you know, and we embrace it and look at these others um, not as a threat, certainly not as a threat, but as peers and as uh, teachers. I think that's where they're coming from. And um, I think if we can do that, that we will be able to get a conversation started. But in the book, I think it's, uh, I describe what I think it's going to take to get that conversation going. Yeah, go through that. And I don't, well, I think that, that the world is going to have to jettison our nuclear weapons. I think that message has become, has been made to us very clearly. If people will just stop and really listen to what these retired military officers are telling us and give it some deep consideration you know why have these events been happening and what is the message here um and you know i believe that uh there's reason to think that if we would wise up and and jettison these nuclear weapons and have an international agreement uh, which already, by the way, exists as of January the 22nd, 2021, when the United Nations passed the um, Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And it was passed by 50 nation states that all signed on to the, uh, this treaty sponsored by the United Nations that became effective January the 22nd of this year. So... Did the United in States that respect, that? Did the United States? <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Yeah. Um, neither did Russia. None of this, the nations on the Security Council or none of the nuclear armed nations signed the agreement. Okay. But nonetheless, yeah. it's like been it. agreed upon by the required number of nation states on this planet to ban nuclear weapons. Yeah. And so, you know, the U.S. claims to be this uh, nation that that supports the rule of law. So yeah. let's do that. You know, let's support the rule of law, because under international law right now, we are a rogue nation, or at least I'm saying we, the United States, of which I am a citizen, is now a rogue nation that lies outside of international law. So I feel that, you know, since it, since we were the, the nation that developed nuclear weapons, we were the nation that first developed intercontinental ballistic missiles. Uh, we are the nation that has done the most, uh, you know, research and development in the creation of these nuclear weapons that are now um, <clears throat> a hundred times the power of what our nation dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki yeah. 
And uh, we owe it to the world to be the leader to come forward and begin this conversation and sit down with Russia and China and France and England and Israel and Pakistan and India and all of these nuclear armed nations and begin to have this conversation in which we devise a way to abolish nuclear weapons from the planet forever and get us out of this conundrum that we've been living under, myself and you, for our entire lives, every minute of every day. And, um, you know, an example that I give in my book, Grant, is one day I go to the hospital, regular work day, and about 10 o'clock in the morning, the fire alarms start going off. Well, that wasn't so unusual because in hospitals, they do fire alarm drills all the time. Well, it turned out this was no drill. Someone had tossed something in a metal garbage can and it, the paper in the garbage can caught on fire. And when that happened, the smoke from that fire activated the fire alarm system and the overhead sprinklers started to go amok. <laughs> and I walk into the endoscopy suite there at the hospital and all this expensive equipment is being showered with water. Probably, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of expensive equipment is being ruined and nobody knows how to shut it off, wow. you know? And it takes like an hour and a half for the maintenance people at the hospital to figure out how to shut down the water sprinkling system <laughs> and all this equipment gets ruined. Well, you know, nobody expected to happen that to happen that day. Yeah. I had gone to work there every day for 25 years and never seen an accident like that happen. And then boom, all of a sudden, nobody suspects because of a, a set of weird circumstances, all this mayhem takes place. Well, on a micro scale, I present that as an example of what is going to happen with these nuclear weapons, okay? This is gonna happen. It's not gonna be that the United States is gonna launch a first strike on Russia, or Russia's gonna do likewise, or India or Pakistan. That's not what's gonna happen. It's gonna be some unforeseen set of circumstances could come from a solar flare, you know, yeah. that fries some absolutely necessary transformer somewhere that sets off this chain of events that nobody knows how to shut down until it's too late. Yeah. That is going to be what the human race is going to allow happen if we don't do something to change the course of what the trajectory that we're on, okay? And I don't wanna see that happen. Yeah. Nobody wants to see that happen. We, you know, we love this planet. We, we you know, many of us are environmentalists and we, we try to recycle and we try to uh, drive. My, my wife drives an electric vehicle. Oh. Um, before that, she drove a Prius. We have solar panels on our home. Wow. 
You know, we're trying to do these things to help the environment, but what good is any of that going to do when the whole thing goes up in a mushroom cloud, yeah. you know? And it almost so, has a number of times. Absolutely of it has. Yeah. You bet there has been. Um, so, you know, we just, we can't stay silent on this any longer. Citizens have got to get involved in this. They have to start listening to what these men have told us. They've got to start taking the UFO phenomenon seriously. They've got to realize that we are not alone, that there are these others. And they're trying to shepherd us along, you know? They're trying to, to help our really re rather primitive civilization find our way, in my opinion. That's, that's one of their their missions and we just keep ignoring them you know and uh so in my in in the book and i think maybe these five crop circles that that i analyze in the book are one of the most compelling reasons that, or, or perhaps one of the most interesting things that people will find in the book okay and you know it's it would be difficult for me to in words, do adequate, uh, adequate job of describing the analyses of these five crop circles that I believe came from the others. Wow. Okay. okay? Um, many of the crop circles, I don't think necessarily came from the others, but these five, I think came from the others. And I think that they are messages to mankind, again, that we can all choose to pay attention to, or we can just continue to ignore it and go about our lives until we run out of time. And when that's going to happen, I, you know, I, I won't make any predictions about that, but I, I don't think that it's probably that they're going to be that far in the future. I mean, we've been living with these nuclear weapons now for 76 years. I don't know how much longer we think our luck with this is going to hold down, Yeah, but I don't think it's going to be forever. I think, you know, this whole, situation has a shelf life yeah and you, you see the one the, day it's going to expire you you see them shutting down the missiles do you think they'll try to step in if if something does in order to save whatever vibration goes through the universe or save the earth or whatever do you think they will step in and and shut the thing down because you know you probably deal with this in the book that a lot of these missiles have been shut down all over the place right um you know, I think if the day ever comes when these missiles start to fly, um, you know, I think that they're capable of inter intervening. Um, at least, um, you know, they've shown us that they can blow these things out of the sky. And we know their craft move with incredible acceleration. Yeah. They would have no trouble catching up to an intercontinental ballistic missile and blowing it out of the sky. Yeah. But I do question if that day ever comes, uh, what will be the fate of mankind? You know, I mean, it, we've been given adequate warnings about this. Yeah. And the fact that they've been covered up and suppressed and unacknowledged is not their fault. 
So, you know, how, how would, I heard there will be judges. Yeah. Okay. That's what I heard. That's almost a title of a so, book. What? That's almost a good title for a book. <laughs> well, yeah, it would be. Uh, I mean, it was certainly a remarkable event in my life. I can guarantee you that. How do um, we, how do you get to the government? Because the government is the, uh, well, I guess the military industrial complex. The way I describe it is when you got a $736 billion defense budget, you always need business. I mean, they're not going to put themselves out of business. So what do you suggest to citizens in terms of getting the people, the sort of these people with the egos and the hubris and stuff like that inside the major superpowers to turn it around? Have you got any ideas in the book that you put out? Um, well, yeah, I mean, uh, sort of, sort of my conclusion is that, um, I mean, as far as the U S military goes, uh, I, I would like to see the U S military, you know, of course we're all, we're all interested in world peace. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that that, that should be our goal. And I think that that has to be our goal. Uh, if we don't get there, and especially with these nuclear weapons on board, you know, I, I think that we're going to go the way of thousands of other species that have inhabited this planet in the past. I think we're just, the laws of evolution are not negotiable. Yeah. Okay. They're real. And if we don't start paying attention to the laws of evolution, we're, we're going to succumb to them just like so many other species have. And the, the tragedy is very possible it's going to be from our own doing. Um, but as far as the U.S. military is concerned, gosh, I would love to see it turn into kind of a uh, a do-good jobs program for for kids all all over the United States and maybe one day around the world. You know, where where these kids that get out of school, uh, high school, and they don't know exactly what they want to do, and they they have a lot of energy and a lot of capability, could be sent around the world to improve things all around this planet you know uh that's where kind of the direction i would like to see the u.s military go and you know i, I won't i i don't want to make them all sound like they're terrible human beings i i think that the u.s military does a lot of good around the world but they also just do a lot of destruction and you know i think they could make wiser choices about where their capabilities and their energies are placed and to what purpose, you know? Um, but the idea that we cannot sit down with all of these nuclear armed nations and come to an international agreement that's already been mandated by the United Nations, I think it's just defeatist, you know? It's, it's fatalistic thinking that we can't get control of this and um, stop talking about strategic nuclear weapons or limiting the number of nuclear weapons and just all agree that they're an abomination. They don't belong on this planet under any circumstance by any nation and they have to be gotten rid of, you know, that's gotta be where we, where we go with this. And if we don't go with this, it's not going to end well. Now we, we've got opinion. a whole, you know, in the last uh, couple of months, we've got a whole, situation going with uh, a demand for a report from the Pentagon. And right now they are not bringing up the experiencers. We don't want to hear anybody who said they saw a UFO or what the message you got. We don't want to hear about that. 
Uh, we don't want to, right. we're not talking about nuclear weapons. Do you think that that may be the salvation is that once we get over the whole UFOs are real, then the, the media and the people are going to start demanding why are they here and what's going on. And then that will give sort of a, uh, a platform for people like Salas and Hastings and people like that to talk and say, this is what the message. And I'll tie another question in that. Have you, have you dealt with experiences? Because you, you're running what I ran was sort of like an experiencer group. I called it Experiences Anonymous, where people could mm -hmm. come to the group and, and they didn't have to talk. They could sit in the back of the room and stuff. Did you get stories from experiencers? There were, you know, a lot of them get the screen where they see the screen and they're showing the environmental devastation or the nuclear weapons. Did that fit into your your uh, book scenario? And what do you think about this idea where once we get past this, UFOs are real, which is where they are right now. Everybody's going to start wondering why they're here. And then they have to face the question that a lot of people are, are reporting this, that nukes has got a big part of this story. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, at the library, when we would have our meetings, um, certainly uh, people would come and describe their, uh, their UFO encounters. Um, and there were individuals that came and, you know, reported histories of, of missing time. Uh, and um, one lady described an event where her car, I forget, it's been such a long time ago that I heard her story. Mickey was her name, but she, she described being in her car, uh, driving in Wyoming, having this period of missing time, and then uh, being like 70 miles further down the road uh, than when this missing time began or her last conscious recollection of driving down the road, you know. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I did hear a few of those kinds, but most of the people that came to the library just described um, interactions with UFOs, some of them pretty up close, you know. Uh, in fact, one guy uh, described seeing what can only be described as a Tic Tac UFO, wow. uh, not very high in the air, uh, just by Kershaw, Montana, just a little north of Great Falls and Malmstrom Air Force Base. Yeah. Uh, and he was looking at it through binoculars for like 10 minutes and described, this was the, his words. He said, it looked like a propane tank without the hump. Okay. <laughs> that was his description. Yeah. Now, if that's not a Tic Tac, yeah. uh, I don't know what is. His sighting of that particular craft was uh, 10 years before David Fravor ever yeah. had his encounter in 2004. So um, that makes me think that what David Fravor saw, you know, it increases my confidence that what David Fravor described as a pilot uh, from the USS Nimitz uh, was identical really to what this man described. So, you know, I have no doubt that they were seeing a craft that was virtually the same description. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, I, I actually got permission to video record the stories of uh, several of the people that did come to the library and talk about their pretty up close UFO encounters. <clears throat> and I video recorded those and put those on my uh, YouTube channel. 
and they are linked in those those videos are linked in the book. Um, but you know, one thing I would like to bring up, Grant, and this is going to be a very unpopular view uh, that I discuss in the book, and I'm just going to briefly touch on it here. But okay, what? So one morning I'm sitting in a motel room with my wife. We're traveling somewhere. And for some reason on the television is this uh, evangelical television channel. I don't know why it was on. I never listened to those things, but yeah. it was on in the hotel room. And I hear this guy talk, uh, or he, he quotes this, this, um, this <laughs> biblical, uh, biblical writing from Matthew. And I'm, I'm, I, I hear it and I go, wow, that, you know, I'm not a Bible reader. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know the Bible really. I, I went to five years of Catholic school as a kid and was raised as a Catholic, but you know, along about the age of 18, I, I just said, oh, well, I got to start over on all this. You know, this doesn't make any sense to me anymore. Yeah. So um, I, I'm not a religious person in other words. Yeah. Um, but I hear this, this, um, this guy talk about this parable, and uh, and I read it. Uh, 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 let me just read it to yeah, you because it made such an impression on me. Yeah, this is from Matthew um, thirteen, and uh, it's the one that yeah I'm sure you've heard this before. It says, "In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah." You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. <laughs> For this people's heart has become calloused. Yeah. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. Wow. Okay. So when I heard that and having this interest in UFOs, I was like, wow, <laughs> that sounds like today. Yeah. You know, yeah. that sounds like our population today that is just for some reason refusing to look at this and continues to deny and closing their ears and closing their eyes. And if all of these nuclear weapons pointed in every direction and creating this existential threat to everything on this planet is not an example of hearts that have become calloused, I don't know what, what better example there could be. Yeah. Okay. And so I, I thought about that and I was like, well, you know, okay, I'm not religious and I don't really read the Bible, but maybe there's more to this Bible than I thought, you know? <laughs> and so I began wondering, you know, like, okay, you, you've heard, of course, all of these examples of things that are written in the Bible about, you know, the star of Bethlehem. Yeah. Okay. That's described as a celestial object that moved with the, the Magi and uh, stopped and highlighted a target down below, yeah. right? Well, <laughs> there's only one thing we know of that does that, yeah. okay? 
And so that's what that had to be, okay? And, and I think that that offers us some reassurance that UFOs have been around and actually had an interest in, in Jesus, okay? Yeah. And what the message that he was to bring to mankind and did, you know? And so um, I, I feel like that there are probably aspects of the Bible that are based in fact but their interpretation was through minds and people who knew nothing about anything, okay? They, they, they knew that, that wheels, you know, turned and water runs downhill. Yeah. And that's about what they knew about technology, okay? So we've had, it, we've had to make it through the last 2,000 years to finally beca- begin to be able to understand about what we're seeing, you know? We're seeing technology, very advanced technology, but it is what it is, right? And so now we can interpret these things that we read about in the Bible from a lot different perspective than our forebearers could 2000 years ago, okay? And so the point that I wanna make and as I said, this is going to be very unpopular. <laughs> but I think that the, the people who witnessed these events and had these interactions, just like I did with these beings, um, misinterpreted who they were talking to. They thought they were talking to the creator of the universe. Yeah. Okay? They labeled this as God. But I don't think that's who they were talking to. I think they were talking to the others. And so if that's the case, we have to completely reevaluate our our religions. And this would include all of the Abrahamic religions and the Hindu religion. And we have to start asking ourselves and becoming brutally honest with ourselves about what the possibility is that we have been misinterpreting all along who it was that we were talking to and who has been speaking to us. And if we do that and begin to see things from a a new perspective, I think a lot of what's happening is going to make a lot more sense to us, you know? So, that's that's really all I want to say about that, but I, I elaborate about that further on in the book. It's, it's strange and, you uh, mentioned that. I think that. if we're good. Uh-huh. No, no, it's strange it's, you mentioned that because I actually just brought that whole subject up on Facebook just yesterday and today. And it's the concept that uh, I, I don't know if you've seen my, I have a thing called the theory of wow. I've lectured out on a number of times where I say, why do you have hose of lights on them? So you can see them. Everything that yeah. they're doing is just messaging. That's all they're doing. They're not doing anything. They just yeah. have to wake you up. And I, yeah. I'm, I'm friends with Barbara Streisand's stepson is, a, is an experiencer. And he said mm-hmm. to me that the beings told him, when we come into your world, we go into your head and we see what's in your head and we form a lesson for you based on what's in your head. So if you're in fear, they're going to use fear to uh-huh. teach you a lesson. If you're whatever your condition is, that's all they can do. They've got to use what's in your head to do it. And so you see these, these interpretations, like, you know, and you, you mentioned the others, which I think is something that people are still, they want this ET disclosure. And I'm going, 
Maybe not. And I say, if you really believe yeah, it, maybe not. then go back to 1895 when they had the airships and they had like almost as many airships as there was in the blue book studies. And, they, and these guys said, well, where'd you come with these wooden ships with the propellers and stuff like that? Oh, we came from Mars. And I say, really? Do you really think they came from Mars? I mean, did you, I mean, that time period, you would believe that, but not anymore. And I even had a posting where I said, if you take a look before uh, the first abduction was, was actually Nancy Tremaine before Betty and Barney Hill was two months before she saw the greys. Before the greys, if you look in the all the uh, um, experiencer or the humanoid reports from 1947 through to 1960, what you'll see is a huge percentage of aliens with helmets on, glass helmets. And you go back to the huh. comics and stuff like that, and that's exactly what was in the comics. So they appear to us at whatever level we're at, because it used to be like they came yeah. from Venus. Then it was like uh, Zeta Reticuli and Pleiades. And then, and now it's multidimensional with a fifth dimension or whatever, or you wouldn't understand or they mm -hmm. won't answer the question. And it's almost like they're coming to us at our level of reality. And you get stuck in that yeah. level of reality. You won't shift. But that's what they're trying. Well, to you know, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, when I did anesthesia for children, yeah, I sat down on the floor with them and I got on their eye level. Yeah. So I wasn't towering over them and looking like some huge, scary monster, you know. Yeah. And we play with play with a toy and talk about what was going to happen and how this was all going to go down wow. and try to, you know, make them comfortable with what was about to take place because they were about to leave their parents in the arms of a stranger and go back to a cold operating room and go through a procedure that, you know, I'm sure their parents had unconsciously transferred at least some of their anxiety about this to that child. And so the, the whole idea was to, to make the child as comfortable as I possibly could under the circumstances. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's kind of what they do for us. You know, yeah. they try to uh, be as unobtrusive about this as possible while still getting the message across and hoping uh, and waiting that some of us are going to pick it up and carry it along and transfer it to others. And eventually our civilization is going to wake up to a new reality. And when we do that, if we do it right, I think our potential to have uh, a planet full of uh, wonderful people who make this experience of being alive and sentient as, as, as great as it can be, uh, I think all that can happen, you know? But we just have to get out from under these paradigms that we've been, I think, misperceiving and, and uh, laboring under for way too long. It's time for us to uh, blossom into the civilization that we can become, you know. Beautiful. Well, I appreciate so, the work you've done because that, that in the end, that's all you really can do um is you do the best you can with what you've got and so uh jesse yes. went public if he hadn't gone public yeah. you may not have gone public i always point this out to people that if i had not had my sightings in 1975 i may be just as uninformed as the people on the street and just as skeptical and then and you have these events so that's why we step out and we try to interact with as many people it's not that you're going to save the world but you'll turn a couple of rocks over and those will turn off a couple of rocks and that's how it accelerates. That's all you can really do is to do the best you can yeah. with what you've got. It, it, I was always raised with the idea, like the Bible says, too much is given, much is expected. 
And Edgar Casey, the famous psychic, always said, knowledge not used is sin. And that always drove me my whole life was the fact that you and I know. And if you and I don't speak, you can you can empathize with people on the street who are basically taking their kids to soccer practice, trying to pay the bills or whatever. You can empathize, but yeah. you and I knew. So the idea you talked about the judgment, I'm a big Michael Newton fan. If you've ever read Michael Newton, The Life Journey of Souls, where he's, he regresses 7,000 people and he goes, takes them into their past life and lets them die and goes into the spirit world. And they describe what happens between lives. And he said, the 7,000 people all said the same thing. When you leave the earth, you go in front of a council and they only ask you one question. How did it work out? Because you and I planned it. There's no mother, can't bring up the mother-in-law, can't bring up Hillary Clinton, can't bring up the dog ate my homework. And they go, time out, uh -huh. time out. This is about you. You planned all this. How did it work out? And everybody says the same thing. I could have done better. Yeah, that's what he said. Everybody says the same thing. I could have done better. And that's, that's this idea of judgment is uh, where I, I sort of describe when, when you look at the situation, if, 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 say, if reincarnation is a fact, you come into the world to do something, probably, and you, you, it doesn't really matter what everybody else is doing. All you have to do is figure out why did I come in the world? What am I supposed to be doing? And am I doing it? Because when I leave, they're going to say, you promised you were going to do this, Richard. You promised you're going to, and you go, oh, I forgot or whatever. And it's like, no, 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 you promised. And that's the idea is that we are only here for a short time and we do what we can and then let it be. I mean, that's all we can really do. So I appreciate the fact that you're stepping out because you, you're in a different position than me. I'm just a, sort of an ordinary guy. So I don't really have the reputation where, you know, you're a doctor and, you know, suddenly everybody's looking at you sideways in the hospital and stuff. You, you took some mm -hmm. risk in terms of being a high profile person to come forward. And I think a lot of people that will listen to this will be encouraged by that. will say, well, this guy, I mean, it's not the, some guy who fell off the turnip truck last night. I mean, this is a guy, maybe we should listen. So I appreciate the fact you're doing it. And that's all we can really do is just do what we can, put it out as much as we can and hope that we'll get a little bit of help from the other side and um, hope yeah. that we solve it before it's over. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that's uh, very true. I think that those of us who, who do get it, you know, or feel that we get it um, need to be activists. You know, we need to really be out there and trying to yeah. help people see uh, what we believe that we see. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, we, we can't, we, yeah, we can't say I, we didn't know that's, uh, we can't use the excuse. We didn't know you did know you knew exactly what was going yeah. on. And that's, that's exactly. So let, let's close yeah. it by talk. Tell me about, uh, the book you can get at Amazon. It's just come out about a week ago and, right. and right. you have a website and you have, let's talk about the library contacts. If people are ever in Montana, where it is, uh, your website uh, yeah, the, and how they can contact. The library, the library is located uh, j just outside of Helena, Montana. Um, and it's 11 Ponderosa Road, actually. Um, we're, not we're not having um, meetings there as regularly as we used to. So if people, especially people in the local area, my local area, but others too, if they want to be on my email list to be invited when we do have a meeting at the library or if we have a speaker there, um, they can contact me. Uh, my email address is rkojaml at gmail.com, rkojaml 
at gmail.com and um, I'll put you on our mailing list. Beautiful. I don't, I don't send out very many emails really. Uh, I'm, it's not something that you will be bothered with. I can guarantee you, but uh, when I do send out an email, it's about something that, you know, I think is important that's going to take place at the library or some new bit of knowledge that I've come across that I think everybody needs to be aware of. And then as, as far as the book, um, it's available through Amazon in both a print version and an ebook. I would recommend to people the ebook because I've done something kind of unconventional with this book. I've embedded a lot of hyperlinks in the book against the advice of some people. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I hope that it doesn't suffer too much from link rot. Yeah. Uh, I've tried to take uh, actions to prevent that from happening, but it, I, I'm sure it will to some extent. But uh, anyway, the ebook will be much easier for people to use to follow the links and learn more about the information that's presented in the book because. Mm -hmm. Boy, I'll tell you, if, if you really went to every link that's in the book, plus what I've written there, you will know a lot about the UFO phenomenon. Wow. So, uh, and your YouTube yeah. channel is what? Uh, it's just Richard, <clears throat> Richard O'Connor. Okay. I, yeah. I will link all this in the, in the show notes. And as I said, I will put on that, um, the thing about the weapons, you'll actually hear this film where they, um, they were offered the film and then it was pulled out of the documentary at the last minute, but uh, this is actually was never given back to the U.S. Air Force, which um, I know that uh, James Fox tried to negotiate it for his last documentary. And the guy in Oregon wanted too much money. I think that was it fell apart. But the film is still around, the one you're talking about with the uh, the, the nukes. That sort of gives me encouragement that um, they, they yeah. will get a little bit of help on the other side. So your book is called UFOs, Nuclear Weapons and the uh, New Age of Reason. And I appreciate your being on. Correct. And do you have a do you have a petition? Don't you have a petition going on as well about the disclosure initiative? Uh, I had one a long time ago, but I've kind of given up on that. Okay. Yeah, I I didn't get a whole lot of attention to it. You know, it's really hard to get the world's attention. <laughs> I I have been impressed with just how difficult it is. Well, yeah, but, it, uh, it, it this will help because it's part of a series on nuclear weapons, and I do have a fair number of people that follow the podcast and the. Uh, the uh, the channel so and uh, even if we you know move 10 people and those 10 people move 10 people i mean we're getting somewhere uh, and i appreciate your you're doing this or just stepping out and well um, thank you also for doing what you're doing um i, I think i'm going to try to get together with victor vigiani also and talk about this so um you guys up in canada hey great job yeah uh carry on doing the good you know carrying on doing the good work because uh our world, this has to happen. You know, we have to get a handle on this. People have to, to come to terms with this. So the more we talk about it, you know, exponential progress is a, an impressive thing. And we can, we can do that if we keep talking and keep working. Beautiful. The other thing I like to remind people is, because I always believe in this reincarnation being a big factor, it changes everything, is the idea that if that's a, a case that we came in to do something, then you and I both chose to be here at this time, this place, in the middle of whatever mess we think we find ourselves in, and maybe we came for a reason. Yeah, I, I believe that. I, I think that that could very well be true. I, I know if I'm not doing it, I feel a certain level of anxiety. Yeah. I feel like I'm neglecting something I should be doing. So 
there, there may be some truth to what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. Well, I appreciate what you do and uh, let's stay in touch. And if I come through uh, Montana, I'll let you know, because I, I missed it the one time. I think it's right off the main, one of the main inter interstates, right? Yeah, it's off of I-15. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I, I go west yeah. quite a bit. I don't drive as much as I used to, but uh, once this COVID thing gets down, um, I'd like to see the library. How many how many books are in the library for to end here? Oh, probably you know a couple of hundred at least. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And that many videos as well. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So if anybody's got stuff they want to get in there, and uh, uh, maybe one last question, I, I was going to bring it up before, but did Jesse ever talk about the nuclear issue? Because his story dealt with Roswell and stuff. Did he ever get into the nuclear? Uh, no. No, he never did. No. You know, Jesse uh, was a soldier. He was a U.S. military officer and a very patriotic individual. Yeah. And um, maybe if he and I had any any personal differences, that it sort of would would have been in that area. You know, um, he he was a big supporter of the U.S. military, yeah. and so am I when they're doing good work, but. Yeah. I can't support what they're doing with nuclear weapons. It's just um, beyond the pale. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Richard. Uh, and let's uh, maybe do it again. If you got another book or um, things heat up, we'll, um, and the issue comes up on the, the uh, stage, which I think it may, once we get past this nonsense about do UFOs exist, people are going to start asking the question, what's going on? Why are they here? What's, and the experiencers who they've shut off now, and told do not talk these experiences are going to start talking about the environment and the nuclear weapons which i think is the two main messages and the oneness message which i don't know if you bring bring up is the idea that it's all one thing that as long as you mm -hmm. and i believe mm -hmm. that we're separate and it's me versus you until you get the idea we're all one thing we're all cells in the body and that you can't become an individual cell because you're a cancer cell you everybody's got to work together that you know, if we don't do that, we're we're done. This oneness message. So I think that's going to start coming out. It's when the, we get past this nonsense about do UFOs exist? Yeah, it, it's the the way the web of life is designed. Yeah, it's designed the way you're describing. Yeah, Beautiful. you can't get away from it. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you, Grant. Thank you. I appreciate Take it. Take care. As promised, here is the audio clip that uh, Richard O'Connor talks about in the interview. This is um, a launch out of Vandenberg Air Force Base over the Pacific. Um, it's uh, my friend Robert Emmenager talking. He was the uh, one of the producers for a documentary in 1975 called UFOs Past, Present, and Future. It later was uh, redone and it was called UFOs It Has Begun, 1979, which you can find on the internet. Um, of the material that he was given by the government, one of the things he was given was this film, uh, which shows the UFO um, interfering with this um, uh, rocket over the Pacific. Um, they had the film, and then they were sort of told be better if they didn't put it in the documentary they didn't put it in the documentary but years later i discovered that they never gave the film back um you'll hear robert emmeniger talks about the fact that it's top secret putting all his names on the thing and alan sandler his partner has it so for people that are interested here is robert emmeniger two different times 
talking about this uh, very famous film. We're given a, a film, a top secret, it was still top secret on it, Quintanella's name was on it, of a uh, launching at Vandenberg, of which three cameras followed the one missile takeoff, and uh, behind it, you saw two little white, look like transparent moons, just sort of trailing and following it their way, but in every camera, no matter what position, so it wasn't a reflection. So we had Bob Baker, uh, who was the guy who did the 1952 Robertson panel guy. Anyway, Bob Baker was well known at that time. So he came in and analyzed it and said, uh, you know, it's a million and one that it's anything but it's not the Venus, it's not a reflection, it's this, it's unknown stuff. Now I can tell you about something else we didn't include, and Alan told me why. Um, we had a Vandenberg missile shot. Maybe I told you about it. No, you didn't. Three cameras. The camp, all three cameras from different vantage points shot this missile launch, and following right behind them were two, they looked like, how do you describe it, like little moons following, like they were playfully following the missile on all three cameras. Because um, it was at the head of it, it said, Top Secret. Hector Kittenella's name was on it. And I said, I wonder why, why didn't we use it, Alan? He told me, they said, well, they would prefer if we didn't use it. So, you know, it's somewhere on, he still has a copy of it, I suppose. But what good does it do out of context? That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.